it was probably being being on national television on a on a reality TV show uh, that really kind of put me in an environment that really promoted uh, stress in a way. You know, it it really they because you weren't employed by the channel, they could you know work you until four in the morning and wake you up at 6 a.m to be in studio again they could retain they could keep you from food or water or the bathroom and they did hello and welcome to another episode of couple of lattes i'm your host jacques massey if you haven't already please leave a five star rating if you're using the podcast app like subscribe and share with anyone else that you think might benefit from these podcasts. In today's episode, I sit down with my friend Victor and we talk about anger and its relation to the ego, how he was able to turn from a very reactive, angry person into a more proactive, humble, um, and calm, relaxed human being. And by doing so, he was able to turn his life around and go from a very dark place, a place of suffering, into a place of joy, growth, and productivity. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, Let's uh, crack on into this episode of Couple of Art. I think one of the underlying messages you kind of highlighted without realizing there is that the internet can actually be a tool for good if we actually learn how to use it. The way, mm. the way I liken the internet at the moment and social media and just this weird uh, transition of communication that we're in at the moment is we're kind of still children moving into our teenage years with the internet. And we just, we yeah. think we're adults because when you're a teenager, you think you're an adult, right? But we're just, yeah. we're not because most people mm. are just heavily reliant and reactive when it comes to social media as opposed to when you become an adult and you're able to use something as a tool rather than something uh, that owns you, that rules your life, you become more proactive and you use it for the right um, the right use, use cases, I guess. But I think mm. we're moving in that direction progressively. It's, it's like anything new, like you got to go through your kid stages. and I, I don't know if you sense it, but I sense that like a lot of the suffering and this like this realization of how difficult it is to communicate when you can't see someone and this disconnect because we're wearing masks now is actually waking people up to what's more important and what's valuable in life. Um, and I think like short term, yeah, there's going to be a lot of suffering still like for sure, but suffering. And the one thing you realize when you suffer is that directly after suffering, you have deep realization and then you have exponential growth. So I think, what we're in right now is the world is kind of waking up to what's important because we've been in this delusion, delusional rat race of just busy, 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 busy. And now it's like, holy shit. Like I can't see this person's whole face. Like I can't talk to my loved ones. Like that's the stuff that's making me sad, even though I've got lots of money and my business is still doing good. If that's you, some people not. So but they're realizing, okay, shit, like that's not really giving me happiness. I miss, yeah. I miss my people. <laughs> yeah. I miss, I miss humans. Yeah, it's so true. And I think the other thing that this has done is it's really given um, everyone a sense of 
uh, you know, normalization in the sense that it doesn't matter how much money you have here, you're still susceptible to this pathological, this, this, um, this virus, this biological virus. So it kind of, um, I don't know, there's, there's no disadvantage in a way for people with less money here which I think is really important to highlight all the discrimination that we've been experiencing for s- such a long time. And that is starting to come up to the surface now. Mm. I think um, I'd, I'd slightly disagree with you on it. I, I think when you put a rich man and a poor man next to each other in the same circumstances, yeah, they're both just as susceptible. But unfortunately, you know, if, if you're poor and you're living in a slum or a favela, if you're in South America, then because you're so tight and everyone's so close together and there's not you know money to not work you have to keep going to work you are like in a sense more susceptible but i get what you're saying is like in a way the virus is making people realize that if you have a billion dollars or if you have one dollar you're still equal in terms of you're both human beings right like it's kind of people are getting more aware of this huge um I guess this huge gap that's spreading with people and realizing that that's something we need to, to fix. Cause we're all people at the end of the day and we're all made of flesh and blood and a tiny microscopic virus can fuck all that up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I think it's also really important to highlight, um, you know, the, the fact that we had the climate debate right before all of this was happening and being able to relate, you know, the bushfires and the virus to effects of climate change, because although, you know, coronavirus isn't directly related to climate change, there are a lot of scientific theories suggesting that the more that the permafrost melts across the ice caps, the higher the chance that we're going to be exposed to bacteria and viruses that we have never been exposed to and don't have immunity to that have just been sitting dormant in this in the permafrost for thousands of years. So I think all of these issues are starting to really bind together into one thing that we we need to be able to identify what the root causes are and, and really make significant changes so that we can curb, at least curb some of these issues, if not eliminate them altogether. Mm. I 100% agree. They're all, they're all one and the same when you, when you really dive deep into it. They're all interconnected in some way and even just general expansion of the human population into new areas of jungle and interacting with animals that have diseases that we've never heard of and seen before i mean that's essentially what coronavirus is right it it came from animals and due to our expansion into areas we've never been before we're obviously going to encounter new viruses viruses have only really as far as we know become a thing since agriculture and since we started developing land and destroying nature so yeah i totally agree with you but Man, what an interesting first 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> can you see how, like, when you have a conversation, you can get so lost in what you're actually talking about? So maybe let's bring it back since we are... I'm recording, by the way. I hope you're okay with that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, happy with that. Um, yeah, let's bring it back to the topic that we, uh, we kind of planned before. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess in a roundabout way, we're talking about anger and how it's related to the ego um so i guess like the idea with these podcasts and i i think i kind of mentioned this to you briefly is 
let's uh, let's first of all, I guess, identify a problem, and we can do that through your story because I think you have a fascinating story, and I think you've seen a lot of growth in a relatively <laughs> short amount of time. I mean, looking at you now as opposed to the person I first met, you're totally different in a, a beautiful way. Um, so maybe we can relate first to your story, uh, how you became, <laughs> I guess, controlled in a way by your anger and your ego, and then how you, I guess what we talked about last time is you kind of, you kind of got out of it, and then you went back into it, and then now it looks like you're on that path towards really, I guess, realizing who you are as a person. So I guess to start with, when you introduce yourself, bro, and let's talk a little bit about who Victor is. Okay. Um, well, I'm Victor. I'm, Hi, Victor. Uh, Hi. <laughs> uh, I'm Victor. I'm, I'm 30 years old. Uh, I was born in Switzerland. Um, I have a Malaysian mother and I've lived in Australia for about 20 years. Now. And you look super Italian. For the longest <laughs> time, a, I thought you were Italian. I'm a product of globalization. I could fit into Israel if you put me there or True. Spain or Portugal. <laughs> I mean, where do I start? I, I came here as a kid uh, with my family. We were, you know, I was, I was eight years old when we moved to Australia. Uh, from freezing cold climate in, in Switzerland, we moved in the month of November. So the position was very different in Cairns, a tropical climate. You know, it was nearly 40 degrees and 98% humidity. So that was a huge change and culture shock, especially growing up in a relatively sheltered country such as Switzerland, you know, landlocked, no oceans. You kind of are limited to the experiences that you've had as a child. How old were you at this time? Eight years old, yeah. Eight, so, uh, yeah, I suppose it was just a huge change. Being able to see banana trees and palm trees and the ocean, for one of the first times and um, it was just, I don't know, a, good, a nice a nice experience and a culture shock um, and I kind of just got dropped with my brothers and sisters into a public school in uh, North Queensland, which um, is a beautiful area, uh, but culturally it's quite concentrated in terms of the Australian culture. Um, let's expand on that what do you what do you mean by that that sounded like a very uh legalese kind of way of saying <laughs> something mate you think you're a lawyer <laughs> um well i think I, I think that uh you know it's quite a small place cans um and as beautiful as it is uh i think there's there's quite a huge disparity between indigenous australians and uh, white Australians um, and uh, you know there there's a community up there multiple communities where Indigenous Australians are still living in their uh, you know on their natural land and the land they inherited from their their uh, ancestors um, and then because of that I think uh, in the community they might be seen in a certain way and you kind of grow up in an environment at school where it's it's one group against the other. Mm. And, you know, not having been a part of the Australian culture prior to coming here and really knowing anything about it, it was quite a difficult position to be in, in a public school, because on one side of the schoolyard, you've got all these Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander kids. And on the other side, you've got 
or the Australian, the white kids, and you're kind of in the middle, you know, slightly tan, brown skin, not really fitting into either crowd and not really speaking any English either. Mm. You know, French was my first language. So mm. kind of being dropped in the, in the middle of this was, wasn't the easiest time. Um, and, and I didn't really bond with either of the groups. And looking back at that now, I kind of prefer that I didn't belong to, to either one. Um, and I kind of just did my own thing for, for a while and I just had my soccer ball, my football, as I'd like to call it, being a European. <laughs> what is the soccer thing? I, I don't know. I mean, football, we use our feet. <laughs> AFL, they use their hands. So, you know, perhaps they might have been able to call it handball or something more appropriate. <laughs> hey, it's, not, it's not Australian football, all right? It's footy. Footy, uh, mate. Footy. Footy. <laughs> Anyway, I am a, I am a foodie. Is that what you mean? Hey, I've got a question there. Do you think? Yeah. Uh, do you think that the fact that you were a bit of an, I guess, an outsider or an outlier in that situation, you didn't really fit into any specific group. Do you think this that kind of situation put you on guard a bit more? Do you think that might have been the start of that kind of? transition into i guess going through that phase of being quite angry or being kind of uh, quite driven by your ego or do you think it was something totally unrelated i i would absolutely say uh not fitting into either one of those groups definitely put me in a position where i didn't feel, feel like i belonged to anyone you know being in a new country in a new school um trying to speak a language which I'd never really spoken. I mean, my mother spoke to us in English as children uh, and we could understand things like brush your teeth and dinner time, but um, I suppose we didn't really speak it. So I, I imagine um, that definitely had an effect on, on me as a, as a child um, and uh, just kind of having to push yourself to be as independent as possible and defend yourself as much as you could in a language that wasn't yours. Uh, whenever there are, you know, you know, young kids can be pretty unforgiving with what they say. And half the time, I didn't understand what was going on or what was being said. But um, I think once I got a better grasp of the language, it really started to be a hurtful thing to kind of be outcast and you know run away from or you know this and that whatever it is kids experience a lot of things in school and I'm you know I don't need to detail everything that had happened mm. but uh yeah certainly it made me very angry towards the other kids and perhaps I lashed out at my teachers as well because mm. of that I mean the amount of times I ended up ratting out one of the kids that did something and then copying it from them because I ratted them out and there would just be, you know, almost nothing done by teachers because they were stuck between a rock and a hard place as well. You know, they're just like, well, you know, it's children and whatever. And, and it's not until later in my schooling years that bullying became a thing. And then there was the whole, how do you deal with bullies and kind of, um, but I, I definitely had a lot of resentment for a lot of my teachers uh, and that kind of grew into resentment for my parents because the more bad reports I got from school, uh, the more trouble I got in at home. 
and the more trouble I got in at home, the less privileges I had. So effectively, my whole life was just turning into, you know, school was horrible, home was horrible. I didn't really have any friends. And I just, I hated, I blamed my parents for moving to a country that I hated. Whereas my my siblings seemed fine. My brother was getting along with, he found some friends. He was getting along quite nicely. And I don't know why, maybe it was just a product of my character or whatever. But I just could not find the groove at school um, to the point one day I called one of my teachers the C word uh, yeah, wow. uh, at a school camp. And, um, and that was it. I mean, I'd been suspended in the past. Um, and this, you know, this was past beyond that. And, and they wanted to expel me. Uh, and... Um, yeah, I think I got in so much trouble at home. Um, I decided to not even stay in my own room that night. My dad was so angry at me and he's like, well, if you know you're going to use all these these bad words like an adult, maybe you can find your own way like an adult. And I was quite young, you know, I would have been maybe 13, 14 at that age at that time. And he said, if you want to use that kind of language, uh, you can act like an adult and look after yourself. And I said, well, I will. And I just left and I just made a makeshift tent outside with some sticks and some palm leaves. And I just stayed outside that night. And then it kind of made me realize how, you know, how much I needed my parents. Because mm. uh, you always think you can make it on your own. You always see those cartoons as kids. They always, you know, they've got a stick on the back with a little pouch and they just <laughs> get off into the sunset. And you think, yeah. well, maybe I can do that as well. But that's not really the case. Um, and then after a lot of discussions with my father, we kind of agreed that I just, I wasn't cut out for school. And, um, and I, you know, I was doing quite well at soccer, football, um, outside of school. I was getting selected for a lot of representative teams and that sort of thing. Uh, and so my father, he suggested that I go to Europe and, um, and try to sign for a professional football club overseas, mm. which I obviously loved the idea of because I did anything to get away from school. And I couldn't believe that dad would actually suggest that and consider me leaving school altogether at 15 years old. But that was a real opportunity. And, and I jumped at that and my parents put all the resources that they had, you know, I'm one of four kids. Um, they put all those resources for me. And at the time I didn't realize how much that was to put me on a plane and put me up and make sure that I get looked after. Um, <clears throat> and when, when that uh, little bag of money ran out, which was, fairly quickly because we weren't very wealthy. You know, mum was a stay-at-home mum and dad was a chef. Mm. Um, I had to start finding work. And I, at 15, I was just doing all sorts of work. You know, I was working on vineyards in the winters where I was clipping vines. I was working in a cement factory, cleaning out the turbines. I'd just come out. I'd, I'd blow my nose by the end of the day. It was just like a solid rock of just concrete <laughs> dust. It's I remember disgusting. that construction. Hey, just just quickly before we move into this, because I think this is the the first kind of moment in your life where you kind of found yourself and you found a bit more of your nature as the ego that is Victor and the person mm. that is Victor. Um, 
But before we get into that, I wanted to ask you a question. It sounds to me like, and I'm glad you said school wasn't for you rather than education wasn't for you, because I'm a big believer that the school system, which is about 120 years old, hasn't been innovated really since, is flawed in a lot of ways. And I think my question to you is, do you think that, because when you're 13, 14, all these new emotions are entering your head, which you've never really understood before, you've never encountered, and of course you're not going to know at all what to do with them. And one thing mm. they don't teach at all in school is self-awareness and how to understand these emotions. And no one really caters for it. They just see, oh, that kid's been bad. He's disrupting kids. Let's remove him. Let's expel him. Let's suspend him. And my question to you is, do you think that as you kind of encountered each wall and people didn't offer like any sort of insights, how to understand your emotions and understand what was going on in your head, it just kind of fed, did it just kind of feed this narrative um, that you were an outsider and you kind of retracted more and more into yourself. Do you think that is kind of what happened? Yeah, I think I think you start to believe that there isn't, you know, because when you go to school, I think you can always look at this one student that you're like, wow, that student is just, you know, exemplary, you know. They're, they're all groomed well. They always come with a beautiful lunch, and like they always speak so nicely to the teacher, they always present so well, their show and tell is just so sophisticated. And you just look at yourself and you've got, you know, dirt under your fingernails and ripped shoes and you know, you you had to buy a uniform secondhand and I guess you, you kind of just feel like, oh, I don't know if I'll ever get to that level. And it does propagate that idea of um you know of being an outsider and 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 i suppose effectively you looking back looking back at it all now i think there are different ways to kind of approach different students and not everyone's going to fit into that you know that mold i suppose mm. um so yeah i think pretending like everybody's going to fit through that mold and making them guilty for not fitting in that mold is, I think is a poor approach, but at the same time, I don't really have a solution. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think to me, it sounds like there's obviously more than one solution and there's a lot of work to be done on a schooling system that is essentially was created during an industrial period to produce workers, uh, professors and military professionals mm. that was basically the schooling system that was created then for an industrial period and it's the schooling system we're, we're still stuck with now which makes no sense in a world that's moving more towards creativity and more towards i guess self-awareness so i think the the start for me would be like let's say for example if you like let's say you called your teacher the c-word a teacher who focused more on understanding why you were acting the way you were would be asking you the question, why do you feel this way? Like, what are you feeling right now? Rather than let's suspend him, let's expel him, let's get rid of him. He's trouble for the rest of the students. So that essentially is promoting more self-awareness in school, encouraging kids to understand what's going on in their head and the reasons why they're reacting the way they are, as opposed to just going, oh, this kid doesn't fit the mold, let's punish him. 
all right, well, that kid's not going to learn anything if you just punish them and say, this is bad. They're going to be confused and still not understand what's going on and what's going to happen. They're going to continue playing, playing up. And you see this all the time in school. There's the naughty kids and the good kids, the kids that conform to what school wants them to be, and the kids who are just purely confused by what's going on in their head. So mm. I think mm. one solution would be to promote self-awareness in school. Teach kids how to understand their emotions so that when these emotions do come into their head, they're better positioned to be proactive rather than reactive to them. They go, all right, mm. I'm angry. And they can say that. I had a conversation with a friend the other day and her sister is a mother and she's doing an incredible job with this. And her kids, even at the age of like three, I think, and three and four or something, they'll like, they'll say to her, I feel angry because he hit me. That's amazing. Imagine <laughs> if you were able to say that to your teacher because you understand your emotions. I feel angry because what you said offended me rather than you're a C-U-N-T. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the same emotion. It's just that you understand it more. And then mm. once the teacher knows, okay, he's feeling angry, let's figure out why and figure out how you as a kid can be empowered to come up with a solution for it. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, I think, <laughs> what, what do you think about that? And then let's, I guess, continue with you kind of moving into Europe and, and finding yourself a bit. Hmm. Um, well, I think self-awareness is really important. Um, but at the same time, I have to, I have to kind of, I have to say that you, it's sometimes by these difficult experiences that, that you, you're able to discover who you are, you know, it's by having experienced that anger that you're able to then understand it, you know, and, and sometimes it's necessary uh, to go through that period of being shunned or being isolated or being told you're this or that so that you can fight and paddle so hard that you can get back to not being that, you know, or, or trying to understand that emotion and trying to control it or manage it in a way. Because if you never have that extremity of that emotion, you never become aware of it as much as you are after experiencing it. So it's a kind of, it's a hard one because making it easier in a way reduces the lessons that you might learn. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I think I think suffering is necessary and I think people are too afraid of failing. Um, and I think school, mm. again, kind of promotes this idea that everyone wins. I mean, you get a certificate for coming 42nd in a freaking marathon. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, not a marathon, but a school run. It's like, no, you, you lost, bro. <laughs> like, you, you ain't getting no certificate. Like, train harder next time. Yeah, you're crying because you lost. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Suffering is necessary. But I would say teaching someone self-awareness uh, doesn't mean that they get an easy ride. It's that when they are suffering and when they are yeah. feeling isolated, they're better equipped to make change more effectively and faster than having to go through like years and years of anger and sadness. It, sh it shouldn't have to be that long. If you're equipped with the tools, yeah, sure, you should suffer and you're going to continuously suffer. It's just part of life. But it it gives you the tools to to come up with a solution yourself more effectively. 
than without stuff. Okay. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, that was a, a little side topic, I guess. Yeah. But let's, uh, <laughs> let's continue. So you moved to Europe and you're working in these jobs that I guess you could say are like physical labor in general, working in vineyards and working at uh, in, in construction in some way. So how did that experience change you? Did it change you for the better or did it change you for the worse? Um, well, I suppose I had a lot of time to think, a lot of time on my own, you know, a lot of these jobs are monotonous and um, in the process you have a lot of time to contemplate your thoughts, your emotions, your reactions in the past and um, I had a lot of those reactions in the past in Australia. So I suppose, you know, just sitting on a vineyard going up and down the rows through winter and the freezing cold, you know, it's minus 20 degrees, just clipping these vines just so that they can grow in spring and kind of promoting growth from these things that have been in the dirt, you know, for over a hundred years. It's like, it really, it really gives you a chance to think. Uh, and, and a lot of these monotonous tasks, like, when we were emptying the cement turbines, I had to sit there and I had all these boxes around me and I had to sort through different sized lead balls, you know, because, you know, there were large lead balls and smaller ones. And I just sat there for 11 hours and the balls would be passed through a funnel. And it was these two long metal turbines and we just sit there and just put the different sized balls in the different boxes. And it was just this monotonous task that you didn't even have to think about. And um, yeah, I kind of just got got a lot of time to think, um, and uh, and I think that really helped with understanding my emotions and understanding my reactions, and um, and that that's sort of carried through for a little while. Uh, you know, I I spent a bit of time playing football. I qualified to play for a club. I had an agent, FIFA, uh, representing me and. Wow, congrats, man. What an awesome achievement that would have been. It it was. It was a huge experience. And, you know, playing in in a stadium where the the national Portuguese team, where Cristiano Ronaldo was training next to us when we were hosting the Euro in Switzerland in 2008 was a huge experience. Um, And and playing alongside, you know, playing against Scott Chipperfield, in when he was playing for Basel, you know, and shaking his hand and going, G'day, mate, I'm an Australian. And he goes, yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, those those experiences, they kind of like take you back a moment. Wow, these people are just, they're human as well. You know, you don't just hear about them on television. You actually, actually human beings. Um, so that kind of normalized things. And and then unfortunately, I got a really bad injury. Uh, and that, uh, that kind of put me out. I'm okay. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So I've got a really bad injury and that kind of put me out and, uh, and um, it felt like the whole dream had crumbled that uh, my father, you know, put in so much effort for me to go overseas and now it was all over. <laughs> and I had quite a bit of money from playing football. And so I just, uh, I just kind of, celebrated my 18th birthday in in misery in the same way you know because i had caught this injury and i was no longer signed with the club um 
because they didn't want to renew the contract. Uh, and then uh, I moved back to Australia and that's when I started my career in hospitality. Got my first job bussing tables, you know, from playing in a huge stadium of 50,000 people to bussing tables. I was like, you just hit the ground real fast and you're mm. splatting on the concrete and you're like, wow, that happened so quickly. Mm. So, so you're, no, you're at no, this like extreme high, I guess. It's, it's interesting because it sounds like you were caught between two worlds almost because you were this rising, I guess, for lack of a better term, you could say a football star. You were this rising mm. athlete, um, which I, I guess in a way maybe fed your ego a little bit. But then you're also doing these jobs that brought you back down to earth and brought you into the moment and offered you in a way presence and stillness, which is how <sighs> mundane jobs are amazing like that. You know, mm. I, I can't remember who talks about, I think it's Lao Tzu or Ta it might be Taoism. Cause I think we talked about this last time about how instead of aiming for the target, when you practice archery, to just focus on the process of grabbing the string and pulling the string back and mm. shooting the arrow and not even looking at the target and in mm. doing so and being still and being present, the success comes, you hit the target, but it doesn't yeah. matter anymore. So I guess you were caught between these two worlds of that kind of mentality of just being present and just doing these mundane jobs and just finding out about your emotions. But then you're also in this like high profile or moving towards this more high profile light and, then when that crashed, all of your focus went to the negative in a way. You're like, oh, like yeah. that's the end of my career. And then so you hit the ground, like you're saying in Australia, and you're already on the back foot and you're already in this kind of negative mentality and I guess pushed against the wall again. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, I mean, on top of that, I, I felt like, I had let my father down, which was this huge thing for me, you know, not letting him down uh, was was a huge, you know, huge uh, part of the agenda, I suppose. And having, after he put all these resources into me to try and, you know, make me a successful rising athlete, as you mentioned, as you so eloquently put it, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it felt like I'd failed him and, you know, I'm, I'm a, I think I'd, I'd say I'm pretty hard on myself in general. Um, I take a lot of things to heart and I, you know, I blame myself for a lot of things. So kind of it felt like I'd failed and it was my fault. And, um, you know, now I'd, I'd come back to Australia and I was bussing tables and, you know, I, I was a high school dropout with no prospect of education. Um, and, and ultimately the failure that my teachers thought that I would be. And, and that was really, that was really hard. Mm. Uh, and I didn't feel like there was a way out. Mm. Um, and, and that, you know, spending, I, I spent, I spent uh, about six months at my first job busting those tables. And then I met a gentleman, um, by the name of Taylor, who oh, asked right. me to come across, who <laughs> come across and work at the casino, which was just across the road, and I. Wait, was I this in? Was this in Melbourne or was this in Cairns? No, this is in Cairns. No way! I didn't know he worked in Cairns. Yeah, so so Taylor um, went to LCB uh, school of hospitality, and he did a 
a six month exchange in Cairns, which is where we met when I was eighteen. Yeah, no way. Yeah, so so I met this this tailor, and he brought me over to the casino, uh, and and then from there I met another gentleman called Hamy, who um, who was from Colombia, and he used to be a criminal lawyer in Bogota, in Colombia. So you imagine the stories that he's had. Oh, I bet. Oh, and so we used to sit there and talk about you know all the the crazy cases that he'd had in the past and all the crimes committed over there and it really got me inspired to go and study law Mm. Um, but it seemed impossible with the education that I had but then you know it just took one step open up the internet browser find out what it might take which courses I would have to enroll in how long it would take how much it would cost and once I had all that information I just went to the open day you know just or just it might seem insurmountable at some points, but you just got to take those little steps and make those little adjustments, and mm. and all of a sudden everything just seems more attainable. And um, it I sounds it to me, you. sorry to interrupt you. It sounds to me like this that was kind of a pivotal moment. Although you were still, and I think for a long time after this point, you were still trapped, I guess, in your anger. I think this sounds like the first time after you returned that you did something because you wanted to do it as opposed to doing something to please your father or to please someone else in your life. I mean, even the move to Europe, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like a lot of that was tied to pleasing your father or making other people feel proud of you, which you in turn perceived as if other people feel like I'm doing good, then I'm going to feel like I'm doing good. But it sounds like this was the first point where you were like, I want to do this. Like not... My dad might want me to do this or someone else might want me to do this. This is a pivotal point, I think. And you probably, I don't know if you've realized this until now or, I, or if you agree. Yeah, I didn't realize that at all. Um, but now that you're saying it, it actually makes a lot, a lot of sense. I have always kind of lived for other people in a sense. And mm. my father was definitely a huge one. Um, so, yeah, definitely. This is probably the first time where I was like, I really enjoy this. I've never even considered this and I'm going to go out and get this. Shit, yeah. And like you say, just doing small, tiny steps. I mean, everything starts from just, you know, I guess what's a good metaphor for this? One scoop of the shovel? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you save, you, by, by saving one cent every day, that's when you get to a fortune. But mm. it doesn't seem like much at the bottom of the jar when it's only one cent. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess you start pursuing this what what happens next like how did you find your way to melbourne and uh, i guess what kind of events took place after that um well i start pursuing this um and then i'm i reckon i'm five years into it i'm five years into it when i i'm pushing for my final year uh at university and i decided that i didn't didn't want to take the university up on the subjects that they were offering um, and it was going to be Sydney or Melbourne. And then uh, I decided on Melbourne because I was interested in some topics that they were teaching out in a university in Melbourne. And so I made the move. Um, and, you know, work. my first job was working at the Emerson in South Yarra and I was working very late nights, early mornings and, I would be going into lectures with barely three hours sleep and falling asleep through my lectures. 
just to be able to afford the rent to live in what has been the biggest city I've ever lived in in my entire life, you know. Mm. Um, so you kind of come to this, you go on this adventure, right? like you've got stars in your eyes and you really think, wow, you know, I'm, I'm on the cusp of finishing my law, my, you know, my law degree, um, which seemed so unattainable a few years ago. Uh, and I'm moving into this huge city, Melbourne, that's so well known around the world. Um, so that kind of got my motivation going a little bit. But then um, my, you know, my grades weren't going so well. And so I kind of lost that momentum because I was working so much so that I could afford living in Melbourne. And but I was not sleeping. And so I was not, you know, absorbing any of the material for my final year, which was ultimately a really important year and that would reflect on my academic record for years to come and potentially affect all the employment opportunities that I got. So then I kind of really got into a bad headspace again. So I suppose, you know, it it's just a bit of a roller coaster at times, you know, things <laughs> sounds like you had a a lot of lows and a lot of highs until this point. Um, yeah. But it, it sounds like it sounds like after all of this I think maybe what was it like about a year or even two ago you've you started like actually long-term repairing the damage and coming up with long-term solutions so I guess through this whole experience you've had a lot of these wins but then a lot of these low points what was kind of like obviously there's been a lot of moments along the way that have contributed to the beautiful person you're becoming now but what was like the big moment where you were like man I really need to just make a permanent change now. Like I'm, I'm too angry. Like my ego is taking control of my life. I'm affecting people around me. What was that kind of point for you? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 it was probably being, being on national television on a, on a reality TV show, uh, that really kind of put me, in an environment that really promoted uh, stress in a way, you know, it, it really, they, because you weren't employed by the channel, they could, you know, work you until four in the morning and wake you up at 6am to be in studio again. They could retain, they could keep you from food or water or the bathroom. And they did throughout the whole series, uh, which really kind of, put a lot of stress on the contestants and made them very reactive, which is ideally what they wanted. They wanted to, you know, they wanted to film reactions in those environments. And um, I suppose being in that for, you know, cause we got, we got to the quarterfinals. So it was for the length of the series, bar maybe three episodes, uh, consistently living out of a backpack in a hotel, sometimes getting on a plane every three days, being exhausted, you know, cooking all the time with a million cuts on your hands and and all the while having to keep, you know, a decorum about you because you've been broadcast on national television. Um, that was really difficult, you know, and and uh, and then when it went to air, a lot of a lot of fans kind of said some really hurtful things uh, via social media that they didn't, you know, because regardless of whether or not they knew you. Uh, they would say these things because they'd form these opinions based on how the show was edited, you know, 
would film sometimes for 10 hours on end, 11 hours on end, and it would be condensed down to a one hour episode. So I couldn't, I couldn't explain to everyone that things had been edited in a certain way. Um, but I suppose that really, that show and that experience really galvanized me and gave me a thick skin um, in, in order to be able to deal with a lot of um, emotionally jerking situations where people were testing you. And, and uh, you know, that, that kind of helped me understand that when there are, there are moments in life people will try and test you, um, that you can, you can step back a second and take a breath and, and not have to fight tooth and nail for your pride and for your ego that you can, you can actually be okay with giving someone space to have their opinion and then allow them to hear that opinion themselves before maybe potentially changing their own mind rather than fighting against them mm. and trying to make them change their mind yourself. Mm. It sounds like, um, it sounds like being on reality TV for you, although it must have been at times a, a terrible experience by the sounds of it, it kind of brought out uh, a lot of the darkness that because, you know, you're sleeping two hours a night and you're in these highly stressful situations and they're encouraging you to be reactive and come from a place of ego. And I guess in a way it forced all that darkness out so you could visibly see, you know, the, the darkness that was inside Victor. And once you can see how bad you can be um, or how much suffering you can have in your life, I think that's when you can actually decide to do something about it. And it sounds like that was the point for you. And I guess another point that I think you've, you've kind of brought up is when you're constantly reactive and you're constantly thinking that you have to be right, you often aren't happy. But when you take a step back and you go, you know what, like, I don't have to win all the arguments. Like, I don't have to be the center of attention all the time. I can actually let other people be themselves. And if they don't agree with me, like, that's okay. Yeah. And by doing that, you're actually happier than being the guy who's right all the time and the, the guy who has to win the arguments and has to win the fights. Is yeah. that kind of an accurate description of, I guess, a couple of many learning points you got from this? I guess you could call it like low point, but also a learning point in your life. Yeah, I mean, I, I literally, I didn't think that this would, this was a learning experience for me. I kind of... I was setting myself up to be a victim coming out of that TV show and mentally that's what was happening. I was angry towards, you know, the, the, the TV producers. At one point I had a meeting with the executive producer. I was so angry at him and his team for the way that they were treating some of the, the contestants that I couldn't even speak during that meeting. I had to write my notes uh, on a piece of paper and sliding them across. I was, saying I didn't want to be a part of a television show that promoted the dehumanization or devaluation of people. And uh, it really does that. And, and there was a point after where I, I, I seriously considered, uh, you know, legal action against the network. Um, but then, you know, then that, that felt like a lot of tension inside me and a lot of anger and retaliation and revenge and those things they take a lot of time and energy 
they're exhausting and and you don't even you wouldn't even feel a sense of satisfaction as much satisfaction as if you would feel letting it go and rising above it and transmuting it into something that's a positive experience that's powerful rather than just holding on to it that's powerful bro powerful powerful realization (laughs) well done for doing that like well done (laughs) a lot of people will spend their whole life trying to figure that out you know that just let it go and you'll be happier like you just it's not worth it you know and you're a testament to that you're a totally different person to the angry victor i first met that's for sure you know you're not punching as many people anymore (laughs) i'm not what you're not punching as many people anymore Oh, who who's I punching when we knew each other? It's a it's a it's a metaphor. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad that you clarified that. <laughs> I guess I guess punching people for you is just like your your anger in general. It's it's I can sense. I, I mean, obviously, anger's still going to be there in everyone. There's always points where you feel angry, but I feel like you're in control of it now. You're you're not being taken by the beast. You're kind of like, all right, yeah, like I'm angry, and I'm gonna settle this with my words and in a way that doesn't like offend people, I guess, or hurt other people and also hurt yourself. And at the same time. So I think that's amazing. Just that, that you've been able to transcend that is, it's powerful. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I don't think you would have, I think at some point it's in your personality that you would have transcended from that kind of angry, um, ego controlled, version of yourself but th- i think that show was super important for you man and i think the universe put it in your path at a a time for you to like face it to just really face the anger inside and i think you'll look back on this i think you already are looking back at this like you said now you can see it as a powerful learning experience yeah yeah absolutely i mean i think the the lesson in life is is the no matter how hard or how you know how challenging a situation is in your life that at some point in time it will tick over so that you're able to turn it into a positive experience and if that point doesn't come it's because you haven't learned the lesson from it yet and there is still a lesson to be learned there i hardly think that there's ever an experience in life no matter how heart wrenching how difficult how destructive that that experience is i hardly think there exists an experience that is so bad for you that you cannot learn anything from it Mm. i totally agree man i think some of the most successful people and i define success by like the greatness of someone's character not by how many super yachts they have or you know how many people they've slept with or all this materialistic stuff i think true true greatness comes from kind of lost my train of thought there i guess like experiencing those deep moments of suffering that's where i was going like and being able to ask the questions in those moments like the powerful questions because i like essentially the answers you get the value of the answers you get are are defined by how good your questions are and i guess in this deep moment of suffering for you you are able to ask yourself the questions like why am I being like this? Like, is this really worth it? So 
yeah, if, if, if people are in this situation, rather than focusing on the suffering, ask the questions, like, why do I feel like this? What do I need mm. to do to get out of this? And I think you did yeah. that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Good, man. Awesome. <laughs> I'm fucking I'm super pumped for you. Really, really super pumped for you. There's still a lot of learning to be done, though. You yeah, know? Of course. And I'm, still, I'm sure that I'll still go through roller coasters in different different situations in life that we're always kind of there's always something new you haven't experienced before and and i'm just i think i'm just looking forward to those moments now where i know that i can i can identify those emotions and um and not be reactive and just kind of sit with them for a while mm. whilst i do a monotonous task and contemplate that emotion that's epic it's like you know like you're still gonna get suffering and you're still gonna get like shitty moments like that's part of life like we're like you said we're emotional creatures like emotions don't just simply disappear you know enlightenment isn't suddenly all your emotions disappear i guess enlightenment in this context is being in charge of your emotions and being able to pull out the opportunities and be a proactive person in those situations rather than be reactive and push yourself further into suffering yeah a question i have for you now i think we're kind of coming to the end of the discussion mm -hmm. but what for you now what is your version of a better way so like when you encounter hardships going forward in your life whatever those might be whatever the universe throws at you what are a few things or a few tools that you are going to implement to i guess get the most out of essentially an opportunity to to grow and to learn and to become an even better version of Victor? Well, um, I think the first question is why? Why? I think now, asking why is really important. Um, there's always a reason why people say things. There's always a reason why a situation happens. And I think what's hard to identify is that that reason usually doesn't have anything to do with you. Uh, because the world doesn't revolve around you. So people are acting independently of you all the time. And I think asking the question why and trying to identify a number of answers uh, by empathising with the person in front of you or the situation, I think is a really important step in trying to identify what's going on. And, and once you can identify that, then you're really playing for both teams, you know? What is it that both teams want? What is it that you want? What is it that the other person wants from the situation? And and how can you get as close to perfection for both of you as possible? Mm. Um, it sounds like you touched so, on about four different points then, I think. And correct me if I'm wrong, but first one, yeah, ask why. So once you ask why, you then seek to understand, especially if there's another person involved. And then you think win-win. So how can mm -hmm. both of us come out of this growing instead of one of us losing and one of us winning or both of us losing? And then yeah. that moves into synergy, I guess, where you collaborate instead of become enemies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's something that we learned in, in one of our classes on mediation at law school as well, is that if you, if you really want to, you can usually find a solution that's where, where one party doesn't lose more than the other, you know? relative to their situations and positions, you can always try and find a middle ground. 
it satisfies everyone. Um, even if you have the opportunity to find a position where you gain more than the other person, I think the long-term, non-visible, non-immediate investment is the investment in the relationship mm. with someone, you know, and relationship investment is so important. I 100% agree. 100% agree. And I guess for my last question, before we move into, I'm doing a new thing now called four and one. <laughs> but before we move into that, I want to ask you for someone out there, and I think specifically, uh, specifically someone who's a young male who's in the same kind of situation, because I think anger affects young males a lot more or in a much more kind of self-destructive way than it does women. Um, but I guess as well, if you're a woman and this applies to you, or if you're anywhere on the, the spectrum, the gender spectrum, what would be the number one thing you would say to a person now? Like the number one action, I guess, that they should take um, to kind of get themselves out of that kind of angry, um, like suffocating place. Um, I think the number one thing to try and get yourself out of that is to respond to as hard as it is, is to respond with love. You know, I think we have two basic emotions in life and that's fear and love. And a lot of those emotions of anger or jealousy, they come from fear, fear of losing, fear of being wrong, fear of having your ego kind of attached, attacked, um, so I think if you can respond from a place of love in whatever way that is, uh, do it as a first initial reaction and then try and have some time to think about it. Try and have to, the time to ask yourself why, as we said. Mm. Um, and, and you'll find that if you take yourself out in nature and, and get yourself in a place where you're not just in, your, in the closed area of your room or your office or something where everything just seems so important in that space get yourself out somewhere big enough to look up at the sky or look at the trees and look look at how i guess insignificant uh, that little misguided paint mark on the grand canvas of things is mm. uh, and that'll give you a real perspective mm. i think that's a beautiful way of putting it i guess that's a, a form of meditation as well i guess yeah <laughs> cool man well yeah, first of all, amazing. I think that's we've kind of got to the end of the conversation, unless you've got any sort of other insights you want to add. No, I think uh, I think yeah, we've we've covered a lot, and um, <laughs> I'm I'm glad that we went through all those topics, and they they just flowed through naturally. I guess we'll finish with what I'm calling the four and one now. So basically, what it's going to be is I'm going to ask you four questions. They won't. A couple of them will be deep-ish, but they won't be as deep as we just dove into. And then you get one question for me, and then we end the podcast at that. How's that sound? Okay. All right. Cool. All right, so first question for you is what's next uh, in your on your horizon? What is it that, that the now Victor is, is working towards? Um. I'm working towards being able to use my my education uh, to try and improve uh, myself, but also s s make a positive impact in the community, um, whether it's via policy or 
the law in any way. I think we all have a responsibility uh, coming out of university or any sort of uh, background or education to try and incorporate a little bit of social consciousness to whatever it is we do for profit. Mm. Nice, man. Awesome. And judging by the conversations we've had in the past, I think you're well on the way to doing that. So congrats. <laughs> I think it's a collective effort with a lot of beautiful people and friends that I have in my life. That's one, man. Springboard things. Collaboration, dude. You don't need to... It. It's that whole think, thin, think, win, win, synergize and seek to understand and just come up with a, a better solution. So mm. nice. Okay, next one's a little bit more light. Football or footy? <laughs> football <laughs> cool and from that one what would be your favorite football team my favorite football team has to be arsenal from the english premier league um, especially when Thierry Henry used to play for them <laughs> and if you how do i structure this if you could choose just one uh one message in less than one sentence, so a sentence pretty much, mm. that you could give to a person that would change their life, what would it be? Life is just about small adjustments. Nice. I like that. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Um, and you get one question for me, so hit away. Okay. Um, how, how do you hope... Uh, a couple of Latte's podcasts uh, will have an effect on the world. How do I hope? How I see it having an effect on the world and how I think it already is. I like to think success will come and growth will come. I like to think how am I, how am I doing... What I, I, I kind of have this focus pyramid where like the main thing I want to do is give back, right? I want to empower people. I want to give people roots and wings. So how I see it uh, doing daily is how I see it doing in the future, but on a much grander scale, which is essentially that to give people roots and wings, to give people the idea that um, they can by themselves take responsibility and come up with the solutions for the problems that they perceive in their lives. And by having discussions like this, where sure we start with a problem, uh, but we end with solutions, not just one solution, a series of solutions. And we give a story where someone has gone through the shit and they've come up by themselves, taken responsibility and come up with a solution. Um, they've been able to change their lives for the better. So what I see it doing now, and I've already seen this happen in people's lives, is people being empowered to change their own lives for the better that's it and it's doing that now so like i'm, I'm good and if yeah. it does that on a grander scale which i believe it will in the future then great fantastic what a result <laughs> i'm glad no i think uh, I, i've listened to a lot of your podcasts and i think the the honesty the truth and how raw they are it, it's really appealing because it it connects with people in a way that's not superficial, it's authentic. Mm. And I really appreciate that about your talks. Thanks, man. Awesome. I'm glad. Um, cool. cool. And I guess to finish things off, uh, if you, if, if people want to get a hold of you, um, where would you suggest if people had any questions for you? First of all, would you want people to get a hold of you? 
Um, and two, if if there is someone out there who's like, oh man, like I really want to ask Victor a question. I feel like I'm, I kind of understand where he's come from, and I'm in that same place. We would be the best place for people to reach you. Yeah, people. Um, if anyone has any questions for me, I'm happy for them to add me on Instagram. Um, so my Instagram is Vic V I C underscore Laszlo L A S Z L O. Um, I'll accept you and we can chat about anything you like.